This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. <coughs> they're dogs and they're playing poker. <laughs> Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're cleaning up the basement. Old records? Gone. Joe's mom's tuba collection? Gone. I even tried to get rid of OG, but everyone said he's got to stay. Hey, but good news, on today's show, we're talking about decluttering your own basement and house with special guest Liam Howley. And here on our Friday Roundtable, we welcome the author of Control Your Cash, Greg McFarlane. And from Afford Anything, Paula Pant, sitting in for Len Penzo from the Big Picture Retirement Podcast, Devin Carroll. We'll talk about 20 retirement statistics that'll blow you away. Blow you away, I'm saying. We'll answer a question from a listener who clearly dialed the wrong number and still have time for some of my trivia. And now, the guy whose voice signals that the week is almost over, Joe Salcihai. Man, hopefully this week's over because it's been a long week. Welcome to another episode of the Stacky Benjamin Show. I am Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And around this table today, we've got some fun in the wings waiting for you. Let's start off to my left over here where Mr. Greg McFarlane flew in from Las Vegas. How are you, man? I'm wonderful. How are you? Well, now that you're here, I'm much, much better. We're ready to get this party started, huh? Yes. <laughs> Correct. And a <laughs> I'm, I'm one for one. Give me another one. This is easy. I, I don't know what to say. Yeah, I send you to the hoop. Hey, across the table from you, that voice uh, that you heard laughing is the unmistakable laugh of Paula Pant from Afford Anything. It absolutely is. I am here and ready. Fantastic. Seatbelt buckled? Absolutely. Helmet on. Well, you better have your... You better have your helmet on and be strapped in because uh, sitting across the table from me, my buddy in Texarkana, the only other podcaster in Texarkana but me from Big Picture Retirement, it's financial planner Devin Carroll. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me here. Uh, sorry I'm late, but uh, as, as Joe would understand in Texas, this is only a Texas thing, but uh, today was the last day of the buy your wife a diamond, get a free hunting rifle at the uh, jewelry store. So I had to stop <laughs> on the way in. Sorry. <laughs> You had to, <laughs> if that's what it takes to get the rifle, right? That's right. This was it. Okay. Maybe it was a pawn shop. I'm not sure. I didn't really look. You could neither confirm nor deny, right? <laughs> well, you know what, Devin? I'm glad you're here because I don't know if you've heard that the place to go when you're shopping all your financial products is magnifymoney.com. Did you know that? 
fantastic. I've heard that before. Yes. It is. Tell me more. Absolutely amazing. Because when you go to magnifymoney.com, what you'll find out is that just walking into your bank and saying, what do you got is not the best way to do things. Over 92% of all those products on the internet, whether it's checking accounts, savings accounts, consolidation loans, credit cards, auto loans, whatever it might be, student loan consolidation, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. It's all there. Thanks to Aries for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel. Go to harrys.com forward slash SB. We got a great show today. We're going to talk about decluttering this basement, decluttering your house, and we got a couple awesome headlines in your letter, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. First headline comes to us from this little-known place called the New New York Times. You familiar with that, Paula? New York Times? I think I've heard of it. Yeah, some small, small publications. This is written by uh, Kathy Chin Long. To fans, their tiny houses, to businesses, their billboards. It says it's a philosophy, it's a lifestyle, and now it's a marketing tool. The tiny house, which captured the public's fascination in books like The Not-So-Big House by... Sarah Suzanka and TV series like Tiny House Nation is catching the attention of corporate America and entrepreneurs nationwide. Greg, is this tiny house thing, is it a movement or is this a fad? Well, let's see. 10,000 people in a continent of 580 million. So one out of every 58,000 people is living in a tiny house. Yeah, that sounds like an epidemic to me. And the 10,000 number is from a guy who wrote a book, a complimentary book about this alleged phenomenon. So he's not going to be underestimating. I think it is a fad. I think a few years from now, people are going to wake up and go, why the hell did we restrict ourselves to less square footage than we could otherwise have lived in. But you see these people, Paula, that say, you know what? I don't need all this room. I don't need to have this absolutely huge house. Oh, yeah. I disagree with Greg. I don't think it's a fad at all. I uh, wouldn't call it a movement, though. I would call it a subculture or a niche. You know, there are lots of various subcultures across America, and there, I think, will always be a certain group of people for whom tiny houses really appeal. Devin, have you had any of your clients tell you that, you know what, we want less house? Because it seems to me when I was a financial planner, all my clients wanted more house. Well, you know, I think there is a movement in shunning some of the traditional trappings of the uh, nice lifestyle, right? People want to get back to simplicity and stuff. But there were a few things about this article in particular that uh, caught my attention. One of those that has nothing to do with tiny houses necessarily, but it was about the tiny house of Sizzle. Sponsored by Spam. I mean, how great of a name is that? You know, sometimes I try to share an experience with my kids that I used to remember from when I was a kid, and it just doesn't work out. A can of Spam was like that recently. Uh, Guys, you've got to try this. When I was a kid, we used to eat this, and it just didn't work out quite that way. It wasn't nearly as good as what I remember it being. But this was interesting. You know, this article is talking about how their billboards and and uh, how companies are using them. And it makes me wonder, to Greg's point, you know, saying that this may be a fad. If in uh, 1931, if Airstream was traveling the countryside and their torpedo car cruiser, if it would have caught about the amount of media attention that Tiny Houses is sketching, and I'd say it probably would. So, you know, it's, it's the new thing, but will it catch on? I don't know. I'm 6'4", so it's hard for me to imagine living in a tiny house. <laughs> But Greg, isn't there something, to Paula's point, Greg, isn't there something to the fact that maybe having less stuff and focusing more on experiences, like Tiny House kind of embodies that with, you know, with a place you go and hang your head at the end of the day. 
Yeah, but I think some of these people are fetishizing it. Like back in the 50s, let's see how many of us we could cram into a telephone booth. If you're going small just for the sake of going small, I cannot wrap my head around that. The article, I think it it kind of goes in the other direction. It said a cabin that you're going to stay in for a couple of days on a mountainside is not a sample of a tiny house. It is an average-sized guest room. So uh, turning this into some phenomenon that is sweeping the nation and causing us to re-examine our carbon footprints, I, I don't see it. I'm just amazed that Devin grew up eating spam. I just want to know which Hawaiian island he's from. <laughs> it's called Texas. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty big island, Greg. Oh, it is. Yeah. Spam, yeah. spam is spam is a staple in the 50th state. That and Portuguese sausage. <laughs> you like this idea, Paula, as somebody that uh, owns rental property, this paragraph in the piece, it says tiny homes are gaining traction as rental lodgings, too. You ever think about maybe buying a few tiny homes and renting them out? Oh, I mean, if the numbers work out, I think it's fantastic because the tiny homes are typically less expensive than a full-size home. And I'm not sure it would be great, uh, depending on the market that you're in, I'm not sure it would be great as a full-time year-round rental. Yeah. But for as a, to use as an Airbnb or as a short-term rental, I think it could be highly profitable. Have, so uh, have, have you I'd heard, certainly look into it. Yeah, have you heard some of these stories, Paula, about these tiny houses and, and having trouble in cities? Because, you know, people want to keep their tiny house maybe with some wheels on it so they don't pay any property tax. Cities trying to find ways around that. Have you seen any of that discussion? Oh, I've seen that. And I've also seen there are certain cities where, you know, you'll need a permit to build anything that's larger than 10 by 12. And so a lot of people will build something that's exactly 10 by 12 in order to get around that. And and then, of course, the city realizes that they're not getting all of their permit fees and they're not, you know, there are all these structures that aren't being inspected. And so then, you know, it's always a battle between the innovators and the regulators. And that's going to continue to happen no matter what. Where do you think the tiny house movement ends up? You think it stays a niche? Yeah, I don't think it'll ever become the dominant form of housing in the U.S., but but I, I do think it will remain a vibrant subculture. Greg, you think some of these young people, though, that are doing this are going to wake up one day and go, why the hell are my feet on one end of the house and my head's on the complete other end of the house? I mean, it's <laughs> house is almost as long as I am. <laughs> Me personally, I would rather wait in line all week long at the uh, planning commission for permits than restrict myself to 120 square feet. Thanks very much. Yeah, that's interesting. It shows how individual financial planning is. Let's move on to our second piece, which is comes to us from Money-ish. How to turn your kid's Halloween candy into cash. I don't have kids at home anymore, but I'm certainly interested in another <laughs> new way to make money. This one's by Jeanette Sedembray. Get money back for Halloween candy for a good cause. That's the incentive dentists, physical therapists, and other healthcare practitioners are giving to kids who donate a portion of their treats after the costume chaos subsides. At Hoboken Smile Specialist, a dentist office in, shockingly, Hoboken, New Jersey. <laughs> kids, I, I can't believe with a name like Hoboken Smile Specialist, they're actually in Hoboken. Or is it Hoboken? Uh, kids who bring in one pound of candy, you'll see a dollar back. Five pounds worth five bucks. And that's the max she's asking kids to donate. Paula, donating the kids Halloween candy. You going around the neighborhood collecting everybody's Halloween candy and making some money? Absolutely not. I think that this is a terrible idea if parents or any other grownups are forcing or pressuring kids to do it. Why is like, that? If you've got an occasional kid who gets really into dental hygiene and is like, Mommy, mommy, I really want to donate my Halloween candy. Sure, let him. 
But I mean, let kids be kids. Really, you're going to take Halloween away from them? Like the one day of the year where you get to dress up and accept candy from strangers? But Greg, you know, this idea of convincing your kid, but having a healthier lifestyle, you're a guy who has a very healthy lifestyle. Don't you think this is a great idea? Pressure your kids for less candy. I didn't have a healthy lifestyle when I was nine years old. This doctor is tone deaf on a cosmic scale. Just listen to this. Quote, the candy buyback program can help children think about the concept of moderation, control, and generosity. Right. Starting at a young age, instilling a sense of selection and a sense of sharing is so important. You know what? Cool. If I was in the, if I was in the second grade and dressed up like Wolverine, partaking in this fine Western tradition of hitting up the neighbors for candy, I am not going to be interested in having a sense of selection instilled in me. I have a long and miserable adulthood in front of me in which I can have that shoved down my figurative gullet. Thank you very much. <laughs> Devin, come on. <laughs> you, you know, I, I'm uh, Greg, I think I'm with you again here. No. I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the quote where she says that she even noticed a few less cavities from those who participated in the program. And I'm just thinking, okay, it was $20 worth of candy. That's not the best sample size in the world, you know, to determine if they got more cavities or not. But here's what surprised me. $2.7 billion on Halloween candy. Yeah, right. Uh, and I can see why it was that much because yesterday for lunch, my wife said, hey, can you meet me at Sam's and help me uh, pick up some stuff? So I was out running around and so she gets this big bag of candy and puts it in the buggy. And, and uh, man, I can't remember how much it was when we checked out. I said, we're just going to give this away. I can't I can't believe this. And so, uh, yeah, I can imagine that it's worth that. They're getting a good deal for a dollar a pound. Let me tell you that. Paul, you never see people buying $2.75 billion in uh, broccoli or asparagus. <laughs> That is true. I don't know where you're going with that, though. Well, I'm saying, shouldn't we be teaching kids to eat that stuff at an early age? To Devin's point, $2.75 billion in one day on candy. Oh, yeah. All year, the other 364 days a year, you can teach kids to eat healthy. The point of Halloween is to wear a costume, get dressed up, chill out, and go knock on doors and enjoy some candy. If we are not allowing that, then what are we teaching kids? To be uptight all the time? That's, uh, I guess I lose on that one. I thought this was kind of innovative. I thought it was. Uh, I don't. I don't think all two and three quarter billion dollars worth of candy makes its way to its intended audience. I, I had just heard of candy buyback programs the other day, and wouldn't have if I wasn't on a bike at the gym that had a TV with the local news idiots on it in front of me. But apparently, it's been going on for years, much like that teal pumpkin thing that I told you guys about last time. Right. Something else we'd never heard of, Greg. Yeah, now I got to admit, when I was a kid, I would hoard the Halloween candy. And now that I think about it, hoarding Halloween candy was probably my first foray into this wonderful world of delayed gratification. I knew that it was crazy to eat 20 Mars bars on November 1st, so I'd spread that stuff out almost too far to the point where the candy probably went rotten. And then I discovered later on in life that the nice thing about money is it doesn't do that it, like candy does. I'm surprised, Greg, you didn't take it to school and sell it piece by piece and make a fortune that way. Which brings my next point. I would use the ex excess candy to make friends on the playground and <laughs> trade it if you insist on keeping your teeth clean, trading it for kid-friendly non-candy items. I mean, do kids still collect baseball cards, Pokemon? I have no idea, but you get where I'm going. Yeah, absolutely. Devin, uh, uh, you making money with your Halloween candy when you were a kid? 
you know what? Not when I was a kid. Absolutely not. I'm uh, unfortunately still eating my share of my kids' candy as well. Well, that's the thing, Devin, is that what Greg says that when Greg says a lot of that $2.75 billion doesn't make it to the intended audience. That's right. With yeah, guys you're like absolutely right. With guys like you and I in Texarkana, Texarkana's like <laughs> devoid of candy after the two of us. We we bought a bunch of kids. We never get trick-or-treaters, and every year I get like six bags just in case, right? Just in case we right. get a trick-or-treater. Always seems to find a good home, right? <laughs> so, uh, so Paula, between the two of these, the top lesson from our headlines, maybe uh, something around a tiny house, I suppose? Well, I'd say the top lesson from the tiny house headline is when stuff goes trendy, it can be profitable. Ah, Greg, your top lesson? <laughs> My top lesson is I learned how I get make this into a pithy sentence, but how detached some adults are from childhood reality and thinking that kids are going to be wanting to learn about sharing and selection as opposed to just stuffing their faces with Snickers bars. Are you saying let kids be kids? Is that what you're trying to say? Thank you. <laughs> and and uh, Devin, the, the, the big takeaway? You know, I'm looking at the article in Money-ish about turning your kids Halloween candy into cash. And at the end of the day, you know, what they're saying in there is having the kids come in directly to the office allows us to give them a briefing of preventative tips, so on and so forth, so on and so forth, and remind them it's time for a cleaning. Now, they didn't say that, but that's what they're getting to. So ultimately, when you see these things hit the news like this, there's often a marketing angle behind it. Waiting upstairs with mom is a gentleman who works for a company that I just tried out recently. You know, I have these old CDs that are around. I've got my kids' old video games, and they've left home, and they don't really worry about video games anymore. And we've got bunches of books. So we decided to test out this new online company, this cool app called Declutter. Well, I thought it was cool. All I do is scan stuff, throw it in this box, send it to a place, and I get some money. And guess what? The shelves are cleaned up. So... So we don't endorse any of the companies that we have on the Stacky Benjamin Show, but I certainly had a good time, and I bet today's guest is going to be somebody we'll have a good time talking to. Let's say a big hello to Liam Howley from Declutter coming down to the basement. And Liam Howley coming down the stairs. How are you, man? Finally, by the way, somebody who can help us get rid of all the junk in this basement. Joe, thanks for having me. Well, how did the idea for declutter come around? Because it's a really interesting concept. It's a pretty interesting one, to be honest, Joe. So we actually started in 2007 in the UK, and it launched from one of our co-founders' garages. So 2007, I'm sure your listeners will be aware, is kind of the financial crisis hit, and it left a lot of consumers looking for a fast way to, to earn some extra cash. So our co-founders had kind of seen that people were selling gold and they were selling old cell phones. And there was generally this kind of trading model being launched in other markets. And having worked in the music and entertainment industry for a number of years, they thought, OK, well, how can we how can we make this work for CDs, DVDs and video games? So that's kind of how it started. It's grown massively now. We launched in the US in 2014 as Declutter and we probably buy well, we've paid out over $200 million now to our customers. We've got 4 million customers worldwide. And I guess we we try to position ourselves as the lazy man's eBay. We try to take all the stress and all the strain out of, out of selling your stuff. There's no auctions. There's no seller fees. There's no 
trips to the post office hundreds of times trying to get rid of each item. You simply enter your items onto our website. We give you an instant guaranteed price. You stick it in a box and you can literally stick it in any box. You know, we get diaper boxes, beer boxes, you name it, we get it. We send you a free shipping label. You stick the free shipping label onto the box, send it to us for free, and then we pay you the next day via PayPal or bank transfer or check. Yeah, I want to walk through my process because I used it last week and I couldn't believe how easy it was. And uh, you and I are meeting each other for the first time. So this is literally me just going, oh, I got some clutter. I know that (laughs) I know Liam's coming on. So let's clean some stuff up. The key to your whole product, I think, for me is uh, the app on the phone, because if it weren't for that barcode scanner, it, it would have been a heck of a lot tougher. So all I did was I created an account. And then I downloaded the app. Actually, I created the account on my phone, I even think. Um, But then using that barcode scanner, talk about that for a second, because I think if people don't use that, Liam, it's going to be a world of hurt. Sure. So I guess if you can imagine your CD or DVD collection in in everyone's home, you know, we're, we're all carrying quite a lot of stuff, right? So the average customer sells us around about 65 items with every order. And like you say, Joe, we give a price based on the barcode. So if you imagine typing that into the website, it's, it can be quite painful and quite time consuming. But with the app, both on iPhone and Android, it turns your camera into a barcode scanner. So you, you're literally just pointing the camera at the barcode. We then give you an instant price for that. And you can quickly bleep through, you know, 65 items, up to 500 items in, in one order really quickly getting an instant value for each item. Like you say, just get done, get the process done nice and quick. And everything had to be in good working order. I know that uh, I had some CDs that were pretty scratched up or had some cases that were broken. Like I had to switch out some cases. Everything has to, you have a certain minimum that you accept. Yeah, sure. We're not too fussed about the cases. So I'll tell you, the main thing we're worried about, Joe, is the artwork. Okay. Because it's copyrighted, so we can't reproduce that. So as long as the artwork's in good working order, then we'll pretty much accept most things. We have machinery in the in the warehouse that takes out minor scratches so that we refurbish it. And then when we go on to sell it, it's in perfect playing order. Obviously, if it's got some real deep marks, then unfortunately, we have to reject those items. But for us, we try to say yes to every single item so that we can pay the customer and we can then go on and sell it ourselves. I wanted to ask you some things there because some of the CDs that I sent you, you accepted for 75 cents, a dollar, $2. And it's funny because a couple of those were kind of rare ones, but other ones were a penny. How do you guys determine what you're going to pay for the item? Our whole website is driven by smart tech in the background. So it's, it's driven by algorithms, Joe. And uh, we'll look at you know how much we have in stock, how much has been sold to us previously, how much we've sold for, et cetera. So it's it's kind of driven by this smart tech in the background, like you say, you know, your super popular stuff that's sold millions and millions and millions of albums. You know, everyone's got a copy that is going to be worth slightly less money. But I guess it comes around to, you know, the whole principle is it's not necessarily going to make you rich, but it's a right. great way to make some extra cash and clear that space in your home. Well, that was the big thing for me, Liam. Actually, I wasn't making the extra cash because I think our first box that we sent to you, I made 58 bucks, which was cool. I mean, I'm planning this trip to Germany next year, and that's going to pay for a few, you know, big German steins of beer. So, <laughs> so that's good. But it was less for me about the money and more about this is stuff I'm not using that it was so easy to just put it in a box 
hit a button, then uh, go to my computer and press print. It printed up the label, take it to the UPS store down the street, and it was gone. I mean, it was it was the world's easiest thing. Exactly. And that's that's kind of what we major on. Like I say, we position ourselves as the lazy man's eBay. It's yeah. so easy to get rid of this stuff that, like you say, you know, I'm the worst for it too, right? I've got kind of 200 DVDs sat in my sat in my home. I work for yeah. Declutter and my wife's constantly saying, hey, you need to get rid of this. And I'm like, right, come on, I need to get rid of this. And it is like a, it's an hour on my weekend. That I was going to say you're super of- easy because, or, or you're super lazy, Liam, because it was literally an hour. I couldn't believe <laughs> how quickly we, I mean, Cheryl and I formed an assembly line. She's throwing stuff at me in piles and I just got my phone out and I'm just going bam in the box, bam in the box, bam in the box. We got to 200 things. And we were done. Now we have a second box sitting out there that's that's nearly full, ready to go. You took a lot of my DVDs. When it came to CDs, you took most of them. You didn't take ones that came from, you know, in the U.S. we have, we used to have anyway, these CD things where you get like 15 of them for a penny. And I noticed that whenever it was from the old CD clubs, you didn't take those. Why is that? Yeah, a lot of the kind of old back catalog CD club ones we're not taking currently we're kind of revisiting that at the moment to see whether we can take those items because obviously like you say it was a very popular thing in the u.s i think to be perfectly honest with you joe that stems from the fact that we were you know a uk business originally gotcha and uh the way the algorithm is set up is we just weren't used to that kind of um that kind of mechanic in the background but that's something we're reviewing currently cool and then then the other question i had was when it came to books i was excited the books, we ended up making two piles. Uh, and for people that are going to use the declutter app, which, which I can r- recommend people use it. If you're going to put books through declutter, I had two piles. I had one pile that declutter accepted and another much larger pile that you guys didn't accept that I was taking to the library to donate to them. So somebody else can read them and get them off my shelf. You guys are a lot pickier with books. Why is that? Sure. So books is a new one for us, actually, Joe, in the U S so books is kind of a uh, our newest category. And again, to be perfectly honest with you and frank with your listeners, a lot of it's down to warehouse capacity. Okay. As you can imagine, um, we've got a big warehouse over in Atlanta. Books take up a lot more space than uh, than CDs and DVDs. So we're still trying to work through it that. So at the moment, we have to be a bit pickier around the books we're buying. But eventually, you know, we want to be kind of buying as many books as we possibly can as an, and that are scanned through. So that's kind of where we're at the moment with the book side of things, Joe. And if they were newer titles, you generally took the newer titles. It was the older titles that we had difficulty with, which makes sense to me. The other question I had, I haven't tried to sell electronics yet. And I noticed that you will also buy some electronics. I know that I have an iPod Nano that's in great working condition here that I'm not using. You'll take those types of things too? Precisely. So electronics is the big one for us now. We probably buy around about five, 600 items of tech a day. A lot of those are cell phones, but you can also, aside from cell phones, you can also sell games, consoles, tablets, like you say, iPods, Kindles. We're starting to buy some wearables like Apple Watches, Fitbits, etc. So we're trying to become this all-encompassing service where you can literally go through the various rooms of your house. Yep, I'm not using that anymore. That's just cash sitting there to be utilized. So great, sell that to declutter, realize the cash and spend it on either new tech or new electronics or, or, you know, items that you want to go forward with. You know, we have a lot of our customers that like you say, you, you made nearly 60 bucks. Perfect. That's that's a grocery shop for, right. for the week. So it's it's about getting rid of the stuff you don't want and buying the new stuff you do want with it or putting it in savings, etc. So from the electronic side of things, 
that's where you can start making some serious money, Joe. So, you know, that's where you are going to start to buy put it towards your ticket to Germany rather than just a few signs of beer. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, your iPhone 7, for example, is around about $350 at the moment. So a lot of your listeners looking to upgrade to the iPhone 8 or the iPhone 10 that's just come out, they can sell their old cell phone and put that towards their new cell phone. A lot of people are used to coming to the end of their contract and selling their cell phone back to the carrier and and taking their trading price. Well, actually, there's a much better way to do it, to get more money for your item, sell it to declutter, get that extra cash, and then put that towards your new upgrade or your new handset. Well, the Which best, is perfect for Black Friday, I guess. Right, absolutely. Well, and, and the best part for me is just getting rid of the clutter because less clutter in my life, the the more focused my mind can be on what I'm really trying to accomplish. Joe, we've set up a code for your listeners and it's Benjamin 10. And the 10 is the one and the zero in numbers. So Benjamin 10, it's not case sensitive and it will give all your listeners an extra 10% on all their items, whether they use the, the app or the website. And that expires on December 31st. So they've got to the end of the year to use it. But obviously, you know, the sooner they start selling their stuff, the sooner they're going to get their money. Yeah, absolutely. Clear out the old stuff before Black Friday. So when, the, when all the new stuff comes in, right? Exactly. You know, we all, I'm guilty. We all spend a little bit too much on Black Friday, Cyber Monday. So this is a perfect way to, to fund a bit of that uh, spending. <laughs> Liam uh, from Declutter. It's declutter.com. Just get rid of the last E and you've got it, declutter.com. Liam, thanks for hanging out with us here in the basement. Thanks a lot, Joe. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And man, cleaning out the fridge has been eventful. Found this delicious looking burrito from 2015 way in the back. I didn't know they made them so fuzzy. Pretty sure that's a recipe from Southern Mexico. Speaking of fuzzy food, here's a question. How many billions of dollars of food are wasted in the U.S. each year? Thanks to Harry's for supporting our podcast. You know, I didn't know what I was getting into when I got my free trial set, but the packaging on the trial set was was pretty amazing. I was expecting a great shave, but when I got a few laughs about humming being optional when I'm lathering up or how to dab my face afterwards was pretty sweet too. Harry's was started like a lot of companies we talked to on the show by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys fed up with getting ripped off, having to refinance their house every time they shave. They started Harry's to fix it. They created their own blade factory, took less profit by selling directly to you over the internet, now offers their blades at half the price. Harry's is so confident you're going to love their blades, they'll give you this same trial set I got for free, just cover the $3 shipping. Stop messing around and get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming the free trial offer, a $13 value. Here's what you get, a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineer blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel. I love the smell of that shave gel, by the way, and a travel blade cover. Thanks to Harry's for supporting Stacky Benjamins. Head to harrys.com forward slash SB. That's harrys.com forward slash SB for the trial set. 
Hey stackers, we get used to those same daily routines, don't we? Wake up at the same time every morning, brush our teeth, park the car in the same spot at work every day, recite jokes in the mirror to be funnier than that jerk of the water cooler. Or is that what just me? Here's one thing you shouldn't make routine, using the same credit card from the same bank just because that's what you've always done. Nick Clements from Magnify Money explains why. I mean, it's never been a better time, honestly, to find a, a credit card, especially given the lucrative sign-on bonuses that are out there. Uh, Chase just recently had 100000 on their reserve card. I, I think we're at a point right now where credit cards are, are extremely profitable for large banks, um, and they are really wanting to get more customers. And so they're they're rolling out the red carpet. So I would just say if you're you if you have had a credit card for more than two or three years, chances are there's a much better deal out there for you today. So why stick with that same old card with those rewards that haven't changed in years? You can use MagnifyMoney.com to always find best in class, including better interest rates. And don't only use Magnify Money for credit cards. Nick and the team have built the site from the ground up to help with personal loans, student loans, and mortgages. Average person saves $450 in interest when they hit stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Hey there, money nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I've had more fun cleaning out the basement fridge. Did you know that old milk looks like cottage cheese? That was a mystery how they made that, but I'm glad I figured that out. This fridge looks like a third grade science project. Huh, maybe I could sell this fridge to a third grader. That's an idea to explore later. But for now, let's get to your trivia, which was this. How many billions of dollars of food is wasted in the U.S. each year? The answer, while tons of food is consumed in the USA, around $160 billion worth ends up wasted each year. Whoa, sounds like some eaters need a stern lesson from Joe's mom. Clean your plates, people. See ya. Thanks again to Liam Howley from Declutter for coming down to the basement. So we asked our panel earlier about uh, how much money's wasted food in the U.S. worth every year. Devin, you said $5.8 billion. That's a lot of food. Yes, that is a lot of food. But, that's uh, Don't have a lot to base that on, but sounds good. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice start to throw. But from 5.8, Greg, you had some math behind yours when you said $110 billion. Well, I was guessing a dollar a day per person times $300 million. And so then, Paula, why did you go with $200 billion? I just picked it out of thin air. Well, so here's the deal. We heard Doug's answer, which was $160 billion. So my question is, do we do the prices right where it's the closest without going over? Or is it, uh, is it just the closest answer? It should be the closest answer. And I'm not just saying that because my answer is, God, I don't even know if I was closest or Paula was closest, but it's the principle of the thing. They used to drive me crazy when I was a kid. This furniture ensemble costs $1,495. Somebody guesses $1,496. They were off by less than a percentage point, one-tenth of a percentage point. No, shot down in flames. It goes to the person who bid $1 or the person who wasn't even trying to bid strategically and had no idea and bid $250. No, that infuriates. Well, there you go. You I don't did, know why they did that in the first place. You just handed the win to Paula, Greg. <laughs> it's a moral victory for me, too. <laughs> it, it really is, because you had it until that. So, Paula, congratulations. Would you like to make an acceptance speech? Absolutely. I would like to thank the Academy. I'd like to thank my cats. I'd like to thank Thin Air for providing the number. I would like to thank Steve for editing the show. And uh, I would like to thank our one listener, 
for sticking around. Hey, guess what? Our one listener, Paula, they actually uh, sent us a wrong number. And the wrong number segment of this show is sponsored by Stacking Benjamins Courses. Guess what? We have a brand new course out about finding Benjamins in your budget that you didn't know that you had. If you head to stackingbenjamins.com, you can take our course and find out about how millionaires manage their money using automation and finding all kinds of little things that they didn't know they were wasting money on. Uh, Stackingbenjamins.com for that. And today, calling in with clearly a wrong number, because who, 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 Greg, would ask our opinion of a financial question? I have no idea who. But uh, let's say hello to Leah, who does just that. Hi, Joan OG. My husband is going back to school, to law school part-time. We estimate that that will cost us about sixty dollars to $70,000 and take about three and a half to five years, depending. He'd qualify for public student loan forgiveness, but we'd have to gamble on that working and being around for 10 years after he graduates. The current interest rate on his loan is about 6%. We do have a 15-year mortgage, and I'm wondering if we should drop it to a 30-year, and then we'd have about $8,000 a year to put toward his student loans. The 15-year mortgage, though, has been a sort of moral victory for us, and it'll be hard to let that go. So I'm just wondering your thoughts. Thank you. Uh, thanks. Thanks for the call, Leah. And so 15 year, change it to a 30-year and put that money toward the mortgage. Greg, what do you think? So 60000 to 70000 is what she thinks it's going to cost her husband to pursue this degree over the next three and a half to five years, correct? Uh, that's what it sounds like, yes. Or at least what he's going to have to borrow, plus whatever he'll pay in tuition on top of that. So we know how much the student loans are. The overarching question here, which is a non-monetary one, is why, do your husband, why does your husband want to be a lawyer, especially since this is presumably a second career for him? He's already managed to buy a house. But, but if you insist, or if your husband insists, what kind of reward are you expecting from this? She's got to tell us how much she thinks it's going to bump their income by before I can answer. Paula, why did I, why did I open with Greg? <laughs> you know what? I almost broke in and said, well, geez, for that same criteria, you also don't want to be a podcaster. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I check all those buttons. <laughs> Paula, Paula, what do you think? Well, assuming that we're not going to question why he's going to be a lawyer, 15 to 30 year and put it toward the student loans. I would keep the 15 year mortgage for two reasons. Number one, as she said, it's it's a bit of a moral victory. It sounds like it highly incentivizes them to be more money conscientious, to save more, to uh, repay the mortgage. And, and Grant, I don't think that she mentioned what the interest rate on the mortgage is, did she? Mm -mm. But I assume it's a reasonably low interest rate, maybe around the 4% ish mark. So there isn't really a strong interest-related reason to accelerate that payoff, but she is presumably getting at least a slightly higher interest rate or a slightly lower interest rate by virtue of having a 15-year over, over 30. The interest that she is paying on her home is secured by the home. So if she defaults on that, she'd lose her home. The student loan is an unsecured loan. So frankly, if you're going to be at risk of defaulting on one or the other, not that I'm saying that she is, it's better to pay off the thing that's secured. Yeah. Devin, she walks into your office. You're the financial planner. What do you think? You know, I don't advise many of this group. Most of my clients are 50 plus, but the question that I would have to ask is- Why do you uh, want to be a lawyer? You know, you, well, no, no, <laughs> right. I, would, I, would, I would skip all of that, right. but 
I would want to know, is the investment worth it? Because here's the thing. If you look, you know, and I don't know their situation, but if they have a 15-year mortgage, depending on how long they've been paying on it, even if it's a relatively new mortgage, by the time he finishes law school and they get most of that college loan paid off, they're going to have a paid-for house if they just keep doing their 15-year mortgage. So if it's either or, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to know more about their situation, but it's going to have to be a fairly substantial raise that he's going to get from going back to law school before the increase in salary is going to actually be an increase. Yeah. I also think I would try to find a way to not go with the longer loan. I'm somebody that likes the longer loan. I like paying a 15-year type mortgage, but using a 30-year and then taking the difference between the 30 and 15 and putting the rest in like an S&P 500 or a total market index fund. But if you're putting it toward a different loan, I'm, I'm totally right there, Paula, with you. You're putting a lot more money at risk when you put your house at risk. That just, that scares the heck out of me. Yeah. And Greg, I knew some lawyers, believe it or not, that were fine people that were clients of mine. I know that's a shock. It is a grind of a job, though. A lot of the people I worked with were working long, long, long hours. So um, I can see why they might uh, step up to the bar, if you know what I mean. Did you ever see them outside of a work setting? I, I, well, not outside of a, well, a couple outside of the financial planning setting. You mean we go do stuff? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. A couple. Yes. Maybe Texarkana is an anomaly. <laughs> at the time, <laughs> at the time it was Detroit. Uh, I know, I know Devin, your partner on the show, John, he's all of Greg's. He checks all of Greg's boxes. Well, I'm going to have to listen back to that part and uh, write those down so I can go to meet with John and say, Hey, which of these do you meet? Because we may not be compatible anymore. <laughs> all of my, I got to tell you, all my, all my lawyer friends, though, know all the best lawyer jokes. It seems like we do a lot of them lately. So anyway, thanks. <laughs> thanks for the question. If you've got a question, would like to, uh, you know, send a wrong number to us. Clearly what must be a wrong number if you're calling to us, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. Doug also brings down the mail on this show. And we've got a letter here from Aaron. Aaron says, I have a retirement fund that's stuck in the stock market. I can move it in and out of different funds, but I can't take it out of the market. Seems like a whole lot of people are in the same situation. If I felt like the stock market was going to continue to rise and become overinflated, how would I hedge against this? Mm. Paula, what do you think? I don't understand why this money is stuck in the stock market. I mean, doesn't this person have access to, at the very least, a prime money market fund? It sounds like they don't. I just don't see how the premise of this question could possibly be true. Like no brokerage can require you to be in equities as opposed to being in bonds or being in a money market well, fund or you. being in some type of cash equivalent. Yeah, I've never seen a 401k yeah. plan. If he's talking about a retirement fund, I've never seen a 401k plan that doesn't have a money market. De Devin, have you seen one? No, I haven't. In fact, I... I don't know this to be a fact, but I think there are some regulations in place that uh, mandate the use of a money market fund within an ERISA plan like that. But regardless of that, Greg, does he want to play that game with the stock market? You know, I think it's overheated, so I'm going to start moving my money in and out. Uh, if, if you've got the wherewithal to do it, I mean, his question is awfully vague. As far as options, you can short sell, you can buy bond funds, I assume. I don't know what the restrictions on his retirement fund are or who placed them there unless this is just a euphemism and this is his way of saying that he is his retirement fund is completely tied up in his own company's stock options yeah well and that's a good question Devin to Greg's point a lot of 401ks have these provisions that say that you might be able to take it out early even without retiring yeah you sir so some plans will allow you 
at 55, and some of them don't even have that age requirement, but most, if they're going to have this in-service withdrawal provision in the plan document, they'll let you take out a distribution at age 55. For some of them, it may be a little older or younger, as I mentioned. So you could take the money completely out and do with it uh, what you will. Maybe roll it over to an IRA or spend it. Yeah. And even with smaller plans, Aaron, uh, I've seen, especially smaller plans, I don't know why, they allow you to take the money out and do things with it. And definitely you want to move it to an IRA. You don't want to take it all out because then you're going to pay tax on it all today. So make sure you work with a professional and move it to an IRA where you've got more flexibility. But I guess, Paula, back to the same question that I'd asked Greg earlier, does he even want to play that game? I mean, let's say that Aaron's 25 years old and he feels like the stock market's overheated. Does it matter? I don't think that he should be basing his decision on his feeling that the stock market may or may not be overheated. I mean, I do think that it's prudent to have some sort of asset allocation. So, you know, he shouldn't necessarily be 100 percent in equities unless that's a strategic decision that he's making. So absolutely, if he wants to have some portion of his portfolio in equities and some in bonds and he wants to rebalance annually, I mean, that's a perfectly logical thing to do. And that has nothing to do with the market being overheated. But to the way that he asked that question, it sounds like he's saying that he is 100 percent in equities and that that is a mandate. I don't see how that could possibly be true. But if that is the case, then sure, the premise of wanting to diversify a little bit sounds reasonable. But that also means, Greg, that he needs to go to his employer and say, what the hell's up? Exactly. I would have done that first. Right. (laughs) And you might not have put it as politely as I did. (laughs) Might not have been the case. Uh, All right. uh, That's going to do it, guys. Uh, Thanks a lot, Aaron, for the question. If you've got a question, head to stackingbenjamins.com. On the top of our website, you'll see it says questions, question mark, click that. And you can either leave a voicemail for the show or you can uh, send us a letter. Uh, Thanks to everybody who's left a review of the show. Let's find out, by the way, what the heck's going on with our contributors right now. Paula, what's happening at that crazy place, Afford Anything? At the Afford Anything podcast, you we've got some awesome stuff uh, that we've rolled out. So episode 100, I did an interview with Brandon, the mad scientist. Uh, It's actually a video interview. So if you want to catch the visual of that, you can head over to youtube.com slash afford anything. Otherwise, you can catch the audio version on the podcast. I also interviewed Robin Dreek, a former CIA counterintelligence official, about how he builds trust in high-stakes situations and how we can apply those same lessons to building trust in our relationships uh, at work and at home. That sounds really cool, Paula, but I thought that Brandon's uh, spot, I heard he's called the Mad Fiantist. (laughs) At uh, FinCon, the conference (laughs) that Joe, you and I were at, everyone kept mispronouncing his name. I couldn't figure out why. I'm like, this is so easy. (laughs) Brandon the Mad Fiantist. Fiantist is a play on, for for anyone who doesn't know, Fiantist is uh, F-I, so financial independence. So the idea behind that brand name is that it's the science behind financial independence. Speaking of financial independence, Greg McFarlane, what's going on with you, man? And nothing as good as Paula's site. I recommend that everybody go to affordanything.com. I want to see that video interview. I know. That sounds that sounds really good. YouTube.com slash affordanything. Nice. And Devin Carroll, thanks for hanging out with us, man. Well, thank you guys again for having me. It's uh, fun to join your party. Well, what's, so, uh, what's going on there? Yeah, the big picture retirement crazy. We're finishing up our first year, which is unbelievable. So my co-host, who's an attorney, who probably I'll keep him from listening to this episode, but (laughs) 
so together, the two of us take uh, all of our, we've, we've both been practicing about 15 years and we take our combined knowledge and we talk about a big picture for, uh, for retirement. So we've spent this first year now, I think we're 45, 46 episodes in, and uh, we talk about all kinds of stuff that's retirement related. 45 episodes. Isn't that cute, Paula? <laughs> well, you know, I was celebrating episode 100 and then I looked over at Farnoosh's podcast, So Money, and I think she's on what, episode 600 and something Yeah. by now? Yeah. An Entrepreneur on Fire is like about a thousand and a half, maybe? Oh, man. So. Yeah, we don't talk about what, what our episode number is. Like, we don't number our episodes because they're always, uh, you know, we do the headline segment. It really doesn't matter. But um, I think we're about 540. So, wow. so Devin, someday... <laughs> I think you do number them, Joe. You threw that out pretty quick. <laughs> I know, yeah. I happen to know exactly what that was. No, that's awesome. And and you know what? Most podcasts, I don't know if people know this, most podcasts don't go more than seven episodes. So the fact that... that oh, wow. Well. Yeah, so the fact that you guys are not only alive, but you're alive and well, and I hear more and more stuff about from friends of mine saying they listen to the Big Picture Retirement Podcast is, is fantastic, and everybody should go check <laughs> it out. You. All right, Doug, uh, take it from here. What should we have learned? So what did we learn today? First, trading Halloween candy for money at this point might be a little old, but maybe more of a dentist marketing gimmick than a great idea. Second, thinking about refinancing your house to go to school? If at all possible, keep the loan small and your head above water. And no matter what Greg says, we're big fans of attorneys and attorney jokes, especially the jokes. But the big lesson, don't try to sell your basement fridge to a third grader without a course in negotiation. Those little sharks drive a hard bargain. Special thanks to Liam Howley from Declutter for joining us. Use code BENJAMIN10, that's Benjamin and the numbers 1 and 0, when using Declutter to add 10% more money to your first box. Just because you know us. You're welcome. Paula Pant appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com. Greg McFarlane appears courtesy of Control Your Cash. Thanks also to Devin Carroll for joining us. You'll find his podcast, The Big Picture Retirement Podcast, wherever you're listening to this show. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Look, who do you want to teach you about money? Some nerd who's constantly talking over your head? Or your favorite basement-based geeks? You know it's us. We're the cool kids at this party. Hey, Kathleen Selmans, she operates our Stacking Benjamins classroom, and she's got this giant cloud of guilt hanging over her head, apparently, because she knows we teach you absolutely nothing on this show. So to make up for it, she's created a whole lot of tools you're going to absolutely love. Head on over to learn.stackingbenjamins.com for details. And, hey, use coupon code DOUGROCKS for a 10% off discount. You're welcome. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. 
This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show, the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens in the after show stays in the after show for those of you that are new to this thing. I want to talk to you guys about Halloween because um, we got three trick-or-treaters this year, which didn't happen. We got no trick-or-treaters last year. So the fact that we had three amazed me. Greg, you said you live in like a gated area, right? Did you have any trick-or-treaters? I don't live in a gated area. My house has a street gate, so you can walk up to the neighbor's doors. You cannot walk up to mine. No kids this year because I don't stand by the gate waiting for them to come and the door panel is not hooked up to the phone so people can ring the doorbell all day long and I'm never going to know. But during Halloween this year, I actually did go for a walk in the neighborhood uh, up and down the street for a couple of miles and didn't see a single child. Really? Is it because there's mostly older people in your neighborhood or... That and the houses are really far apart. Yeah. No, that's that's my neighborhood too, which is why we don't get many. And this idea, somebody said the other day that this idea of trunk or treat, you know, gets busy every year where people go to some parking lot where, you know, maybe their their church or group that they belong to and they do that instead. That I don't know. Maybe I, I don't want to sound like grandpa here, but you should you should go you should have to sweat a little if you want to earn that candy. <laughs> no, right. Gonna get uh, all those calories. Paula, what about you? Trick or treaters? So I live in a condo. Uh, there were no trick-or-treaters in the condo, but I did go to a friend's house and handed out Halloween candy there. So my friend, she's a single mom, and she went out trick-or-treating with uh, her son, so I took over her house. Right. Did you badger the kids when they came to the door? <laughs> no, no. I just greeted them with a smile and uh, handed out a bunch of Kit Kats. See, that's not so good. There you were should... a lot of them, too. There was like maybe 40. R- Holy cow, man. Yeah. That's a that's a good. How many Kit Kats ended up in Paula Pant's pocket? Actually, I can tell you, uh, there were exactly four. <laughs> I, I I just, after FinCon, I started writing down everything that I eat because I definitely put on a couple of pounds at FinCon. So oh. now I'm trying to um, to track my calories a little bit better. So so I've tracked the number of Kit Kats that I've eaten in the last 24 hours. I totally did too. I, I'm 10 pounds over my goal weight between that and uh, on, on Halloween, I... I had so many Kit Kats and those little Reese's peanut butter things. You guys know that uh, comedian, uh, Jeff, um, the guy who's on the Goldbergs, He he's a comedian and uh, talks about these little candies they hand out and how they're supposedly called fun size. He's like, these aren't fun size. These are frustrating size. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing fun about a little miniature Kit Kat. Those just upset you. But anyway, I had like 67 of those on Halloween. Devin, how about you? Big trick-or-treaters? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had a blast. You know, Paula, you were talking about FinCon. 
So you put on a couple of pounds, Joe. It sounds like maybe you did. I did the reverse, and it's not because I tried. One of the most powerful things that uh, I picked up while I was at FinCon was a stomach bug. (laughs) And so (laughs) I came back, and uh, Sunday I I wasn't feeling so hot, and Monday it was worse, and then yesterday was – a slight recovery and uh but anyway no halloween was uh good so we're in texas we do things a little differently and uh the neighborhood that i live in is lots of big lots most of the lots out there are two and a half to you know four acres something like that and so it's kind of difficult to get out and walk especially you know if the kids are going fine they could walk but if i'm going along you know we jump on the atv and we row it all throughout the neighborhood you are so uh, lazy trick-or-treating I know, I know, but hey, I'm not walking through that neighborhood. We're There's getting, no way. No, nope. the- I'm recovering from a stomach bug. Getting on the ATV. <laughs> what's what's the best, Greg? From your when you were a child, I have to think you had some awesome costumes. There's got to be a Halloween costume that you remember and wish you had pictures of. <laughs> oh man, I can't remember how old I was, but the absolute last year that I dressed up, I went as a ghost. I went as Charlie Brown, except I had, except I only had two eye holes. Yeah, I, I, I was. It was called. People didn't use the word minimalist back then, but I think that's what I was going for. <laughs> it, was, it was like, how do I get away with it a little longer? You know, that year, by the way, the last year. How did you know it was a? How did you know it was the last year you were trick or treating? I was taller than all the other kids. Right. Mine was we were trick or treating in every house we went to. Dude, every house we went to, the parents at the door handing out candy kept saying, "How old are you?" Do you think you should be out here? (laughs) Just give me some damn candy. Paula, what's your best uh, Halloween costume? Ooh, there was one year that I uh, I didn't actually try to be anything. I just threw a bunch of really random things together. Um, How is that your uh, best? It came out looking really good. Like I I wasn't anything. I was I was literally just a hot mess. But. but like the combination of textures and colors and patterns, and I put a banana peel on my hat, you know, all all of that randomness that kind of came together to be a pretty cool costume. That's that that's amazing. The hot mess, Devin. How about you? Last word. So this may come as a surprise, but I have never once dressed up for Halloween. Never ever. Not once. Ever. Even when I was a kid. Is that because people think you have a natural costume just looking at you? No, it's horrible. <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> like, oh my God, you're Devin Carroll. I'm hanging over all my yeah. candy. Wait, why didn't you do it when you were a kid? Oh, there's a host of reasons. There may be a better show for this, though. But I'll go into it if you want me to. <laughs> no. So, uh, I don't know. Really, I don't know why I didn't grow up. Now, I know why I did once I became an adult. But, uh, you know, growing up, it was just something we didn't do. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay, why didn't you start when you were an adult? I don't know. Maybe it's because I didn't start the habit when I was a child. But on the other hand, let me tell you, my 12-year-old daughter is making up for all the losses I had. Because that girl can wear a costume like nobody's business. And she can just make up her own, too. So last night, she uh, I think she was a tourist. Uh, which, which was crazy. She really pulled the look off, too. And that's just from just from junk out of her closet that she's pulling out. She had the camera and everything. She was something different for school the same day. The day before was, oh, I can't remember what else she wore, but but there's been about three costumes, so uh, she's making up for lost time. That's just crazy. Hey, guys, thanks for playing. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you.
Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate take a look at all the military appreciation month offers and their usual offers navy federal our members are the mission navy federal is insured by ncua equal housing lender